Lord Jesus, we just thank you for Sue. We thank you that by your Holy Spirit, you've been revealing truth to her. And we pray that you will give her boldness to speak out in an uninhibited way the words that you've given her to say. And Lord, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you will open up our hearts that we can hear what it is that you have to say to each one of us today and that you will plant what you need to plant in us so firmly that we cannot get away from it. We just ask you, bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Sue. Thank you, Graham. Wasn't that fab worship? I'm just, it's just such a privilege to worship like that. And fab acting, I say it's a bit scary, BAFTA week. (laughs) Anyway, Moses. Last week we heard about Jonah, and this week it's Moses. Um, We're looking at the responses of these people to God, and hopefully drawing similarities between how they responded and how we respond. Um, I must say, when I made my notes on Moses, I felt a bit guilty, because it's a little bit of a character assassination on him. So I just feel I have to stand tall for Moses for two minutes and just give an overview of what God was asking him to do. God was asking Moses to take the Israelites out of bondage into the promised land. The reality was he was going to go to the Pharaoh, who was a big world player like Barack Obama, the Queen. He was going to go to this big world player and ask for these people to be released. And these 12 brothers, these, these tribes had turned into a group of probably in excess of a million. So with the children and with the cattle, this was a huge withdrawal from Egypt. And to put it into modern day terms, it would be like us saying, as of the 1st of January next year, anybody who can't trace their heritage in the UK back 400 years has to leave whether that's Bulgarians, Romanians, Germans, Irish, whoever, you have to go home. And the 1st of January arriving and all these people leaving and then suddenly this social breakdown occurring. Suddenly there are no new hospitals being built. The construction industry shrinks right down. Suddenly there are no fruit pickers and the reality is there's no fresh veg in Sainsbury's or there's no cider from Hereford or there's no tarmac roads or drives. And, and the Pharaoh and Moses knew that this, this would have this impact on this country. And, you know, he liked his pyramids. The brickmakers were going to be gone. And so basically Moses was going to go up to Pharaoh and ask that these people be released. And the Pharaoh was going to look at Moses and, and, and say, and, and on whose authority do you ask? And Moses is, 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 is going to stand in front of this bunch of sceptics and basically say, God has told me. And they're going to say to him, and how has God told you? And he's going to look them in the face and say, he talked to me through a bush. It's not, you know, I mean, when was the last time you saw anybody talking to a plant? And, you know, Moses, to be fair to the guy, he thought it might sound unbelievable. So he didn't really respond with a, yes, Lord, how soon do you want me to start? So I just felt I just had to paint the picture and just kind of stand ground for him a little bit in his defense. So looking at it as excuses. 
Moses says to God in chapter 3, verse 11, this was read out, Who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? His self-esteem was low. He had been a prince in Egypt 40 years earlier, and he had, after murdering somebody, he had taken himself out and he was hiding in the wilderness. He, had, he hadn't got a bean to his name. He was looking after his father-in-law's sheep. So he was a shepherd looking after Jethro's sheep. He didn't even have his own flock. He had nothing. And he, he looks at God and he says, who am I? He, he must have been thinking, well, surely I'm the last person on the list. But God, when he opened the conversation, he, he opens it with Moses, Moses. He knows him by name. The reality is... He might, Moses may have been hiding away in the desert in this barren wilderness, but God knew exactly who he was, where he was, and put his finger on him. He was the man for the job. The reality was his adoption 80 years earlier earned him access to get the work done. God knew that he was the man for the job. Moses was looking at it from a human perspective not God's perspective. He was looking at the constraints that he had, not of the authority and the power of God behind him, propelling him forward to do the job. On the back of that, there was a bit of a sense that Moses felt he wasn't qualified. I mean, he was hardly a model um, role of leadership. You know, he's out hiding in the desert, you know, just, just hiding away, almost embarrassed by how wrong his life had gone. He was hardly the kind of person you would expect to have been chosen to liberate the Israelites. You would have thought that God would have chosen a military leader or a political leader, and instead he's shown a shepherd who doesn't even own any sheep. How often do we look at a situation when God calls us and think, we haven't got the experience, we haven't got the qualifications, we haven't got the training. That person's much better than me, Lord. I know you know everybody, but I don't think you've met that person and they could do the job much better. And there was a sense with Moses that he felt he should be bottom of the list and there should be other people that could do the job ahead of him. So Moses has built this barrier, this little excuse, and God's gone, don't worry. So he goes back in chapter 4, verse 10. And he basically says to God, I'm not eloquent enough. And he, he says to God, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Now, it, Moses could have had a stutter. He could have had a stammer. It's possibly. Arlene showed us. You know, he could have done. It also could have been that he was so scared that it was a, a, a false humility. Because if we fast forward in the Bible to the book of Acts, Stephen is talking about Moses. And Stephen comments on Moses and Stephen says, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was powerful in speech and action. So whether it was that Moses had a stutter or a stammer, the reality was that God knocked that hurdle down, knocked that barrier down that he'd built up, and he gave him Aaron. Now, Aaron was perhaps a bit of a mixed blessing. He, he may have been eloquent, and he may have spoken with clarity, but he also knew how to fashion golden calves and upset God. 
But I think the message there is that if we need anybody around us to do the job, that God will supply those people. He won't just ask us to do something and then leave us home alone to do it. He will, he will put the people around us that we need to help us do it. With the whole um, picture of the burning bush, I felt that there was an element of surprise. And almost a bit of irony in that Moses has spent 40 years in the palace. And I mean, that must have been amazing. Just the ultimate silver spoon in your mouth. You you know, you can just imagine it was a fantastic upbringing. But here he is in the wilderness, in the middle of nowhere, you know, amongst the dust and the gnats and the, the heat. And the king of the universe comes to visit him. Not just the king of Egypt, the king of the cosmos comes to visit him in the desert, not in a palace. And that, I think, is, isn't so dissimilar to nowadays. Often when God asks us to do something, we're caught quite unawares. It's never quite how we expect. It's never when we expect. We're often caught unawares, not on our guard, and just don't expect it. And quite often when the Holy Spirit asks us to do something, it, 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 it can sound downright bonkers. But the reality is that God doesn't always do things as we, well, quite often doesn't do things as we expect them. So Moses has gone back with all of these excuses. He's said um, that he doesn't think he's worthy. He's said that he isn't eloquent enough. He said, what if the people don't believe me? And in chapter 4, verse 13, we get down to the nitty-gritty of it. Moses is out of excuses and he goes back to the Lord with, Pardon your servant, Lord, but please send someone else. The bottom line is, he didn't want to do it. It was like, here I am, but send them. He, he, the bottom line was, it was a smokescreen for a lack of trust He was scared of what lay ahead. And quite often when God asks us to do something, and I can say that stood here right now, it is scary. You know, it really is scary. But the reality is, God gave him a visual. God gave him a burning bush. It was on fire, but it wasn't perishing. It was incombustible. And the reality was, God was using the bush to talk to Moses, but the bush wasn't getting damaged. And in the same way, God would use Moses, but he wouldn't perish. He would preserve him through all the trials and tribulations that were going to be thrown at Moses. In the same way that God was looking after the bush, God would look after Moses. But Moses was still reluctant to follow God. He probably was genuinely scared for his life. I mean, the reality was he had murdered an Egyptian. The people had turned against him. The Egyptians wouldn't have been too happy with him. He was probably really genuinely scared that his life was on the line. But the irony of that is 79 years earlier, when Moses was put into the papyrus basket... And he was floated past the bulrushes. And the Pharaoh's daughter picked him out. She said, I'm going to name him Moses, drawn out of the water. God knew 79 years earlier at 12 weeks old that Moses was the man for the job and that he would draw the Israelites through the water. 
Moses just had to have faith and belief in God's sovereignty that he would get the job done. In the New Testament, in Matthew 21, 28, there's a parable of two sons. And Jesus is telling his disciple about um, the two sons in the vineyard. And the father goes up to the sons and he asks them basically to go out and do some work. And the first son um, looks looks at his father and he says, I will not. And then he feels a bit remorseful and he goes out and he does the day's work. The second son says, I will, sir. And he just laces it with sir. And the reality is it's lip service. He doesn't do anything. Jesus asks his disciples, which of the two sons was the father pleased with? I think that's a question here. Moses was obviously the first son. No, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. Okay, I'll do it. Are we the first or the second son? Do we say yes and then conveniently forget? Or do we, in fear but belief, go ahead and do it? So to kind of conclude and round off the the responses that Moses gave, he'd gone back with... um, lack of self-esteem, lack of eloquence, unbelief in God. And I think that poses two challenges for us. And the first challenge is, are we listening? We're hearing, but are we listening? And I'm going to give a personal example of one where I don't. A lot of you know that I'm now home educating Elliot. And that is a challenge in itself because I'm not a teacher, I'm a banker. And I sit there doing fractions and it's difficult. But the hardest thing is I have lost my God time. I could get up and I could just walk through the word with the Lord and get lost. Really consumed and get really close to Jesus. So in frustration I prayed to God and I said, Lord, this just isn't working I don't mean the schooling, that isn't working either, but I mean this isn't working. And I felt God say to me, well, just get up an hour and a half earlier before the children get up. And I was like, oh, six o'clock. So I said, I'll tell you what, Lord, if that's you, you wake me up at six o'clock. I won't set the alarm because it might disturb Mark, um, but you wake me up at six o'clock. The next morning, and I must say, numerous mornings since, wide awake. Now, I'm not a morning person. It takes at least two cups of tea to just get me out of bed. I just don't do mornings. So I woke up, and this voice said, come on. This thought in my head, come on. Let's come and spend some time with me. And I lay there, and I thought, Sue, you're so good at doing this. You're so good at thinking of answers. Go to bed. Rolled over. Second request, come on, spend some time with me. See, there you go again, Sue. It's, it's amazing. This uh, rolled over. Third, third request, and I, something should have resonated with the third request. Come and spend some time with me. So I rolled over and just wrote it off as one of my own thoughts. And then I heard Morville Church Bell Tower. Dong, 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 dong. I thought, right, six o'clock. I'm up. And I got up. I heard, but I didn't really want to listen. And I think that's something that happens to maybe quite a few of us. The interesting thing in the scripture was, in chapter 3, verse 4, 
we read, When the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, that was at the burning bush, God called to him. God didn't speak to Moses or commission him until he had his full attention. And is it a case of nowadays that quite often God's call doesn't quite touch our hearts because we haven't quite given him our full attention? I think with Moses and his calling, I mean, it, it was... Um, but it was amazing. I mean, it was it was undisputable. It was it was like a heavenly megaphone from God. You know, it was really obvious. It was this burning bush, and you know, we saw there. It was. I felt, even though that wasn't correct to the to the wordage in the Bible, you just got a sense of the awesomeness of the event. But I think quite often now we don't always get the the amazing megaphone from heaven. It's it is the still small voice inside. It's an absolute inner knowing. I call it a stubborn thought. It's a stubborn thought that's in line with Scripture and it's in line with how the Holy Spirit would be. Another example, another personal example I'm going to give is of Mark. And Mark does know I'm going to tell this story, so he's okay with it. My husband and I were worshipping numerous months earlier ago and... um, I'd never met Mark, I didn't know his name, I'd never spoken to him. And we were worshipping and I was a bit absorbed and I just had this stubborn thought. It wouldn't go away. You've got to invite that man round and talk to him. He's got questions, he's a new Christian. He's, you've got to invite him round. So I nudged my Mark and I said, I don't know who that man is over there, but I think we've got to invite him back for lunch. And my husband said, oh, it's one of the best ever Easter lunches. There's already nine of us. So I nudged him again. I said, well, one more. I don't know who he is, but one more. And we're doing this, you know, I I can't even remember who's leading worship, but they must have thought we were so disrespectful. But we're doing this in the middle of worship. So Mark then comes back to me and says, well, um, what if he's married? I think he might be married. So I went back and said, well, we could could squeeze two more meals out. And then Mark comes back and says, well, we've... Arlene's offered to do the puddings, and she knows there's going to be nine people, and if there's 11, that'd be a bit awkward. And, and you know, when this, but it's still, it's there. It's like, do, 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 do. So we let it drop, and we went back home, and we were all sat around the table having a glass of wine, and the veggies were cooking, and Mark's mobile phone went off. And he got up, and he left the room, and I thought, that's, that's quite unusual doesn't normally leave the room and he came back and he sat down and he said um you know that guy that you were on about in the worship who was sat in front of us I said yeah he said well his name's Mark um and that was him on the phone and um he's got lots of questions and he wants to talk to us and um someone's given him our phone number and said go and have a chat to the Fensons and he's coming around for a meal this week and it was another example of that that was that stubborn thought it was it was that calling from God but sometimes we just don't quite tune in. We just don't quite listen enough. Um, so I just thought I should give a personal example of how not to do it. So my first challenge is, are we listening to, are we listening to God? My second challenge is, how are we responding Are we building brick walls like Moses did, as if God can't knock them down, as if he does not know how to overcome them and just 
move them out of the way and resolve them. God still calls his servants to lead sinners out of bondage today. It's just different bondage. It's not so much people living outside of the promised land. It's people living outside of the presence of Jesus. We are called to be salt and life. Through our lampstand, through our church, through us, are we going out and are we being a light for Jesus? Are we sharing his name with the people that we know? Okay, we all have faith. We're all going to heaven. Are we taking anybody with us? So what's God calling you to respond to? Is it a committed ongoing support, um, like supporting the food bank on a Monday morning or supporting um, the Christmas together or going out with Dell and handing out chocolate biscuits maybe and evangelising on the street? Is it being in coffee and chat on a Tuesday morning? There are all sorts of options And God will put something on your heart that fits you. It's a gift he's given you that he wants you to take out and do. It could be being a Christian counsellor on the council and having a Christian presence in the meetings where decisions are made about our town. There are all sorts of callings. So it could be an ongoing committed support of something or is it a one-off act of compassion? Is it a case of walking down the high street and seeing somebody who you recognise was in Christmas together and thinking that person doesn't have a huge network of friends, a huge network of family? Is it just a one-off taking them for coffee and just spending 15 minutes of your life listening to them and talking with them? Is it a one-off act of compassion when you get to the till in Sainsbury's and the lady in front baby's screaming and she's opened a handbag and realised she hasn't got a purse is it just paying for her shopping and saying bless you and, and being a Christian presence there in the New Testament in James chapter 2 it says faith without deeds is dead if we've got faith we've got to go out there and we've got to act it, it's got to be a daily ongoing thing We've got to respond to all the little requests, little or big, they're all valuable to God. But we've got to respond the right way. The reality is God's given us each a gift. It's a God-given gift inside. But the question is, when God calls you to use it, how will you respond to him? Thank you. Thank you, Sue. No, you're right. Thank you, Sue. Wonderful. Did you hear what she said? Is God calling you? So if you haven't responded to something and it's time, let us pray for you today. If you haven't met Jesus, He'll change your life. Uh, And that voice 
becomes a permanent feature. And that really does make a difference. If you would like to meet Jesus, we're happy to pray for you. If you just want to recommit to work that you need to do because you know God is calling you to do it, let us pray for you.